is where we're at. Chapter 8. We'll jump around a little bit around that area. Back to 7 for a second. Um, Acts chapter 8. Alright, so the title here is To Samaria and Beyond. <laughs> okay, see what I got there. Um, Alright, so in chapter 7, Stephen becomes uh, the first martyr. He is executed by a kind of vigilante justice, and the Jewish ruling council picks up stones, throws them at Stephen, and he dies. Not quite exactly true. Um, notice verse 60 of chapter 7. It's not far. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Man, when does a nap sound like a bad idea? I could sleep standing up. <laughs> Stephen fell asleep. It's the Christian way of seeing death. Is it a bad thing? Mm-mm. <laughs> it's an okay thing, right? And Stephen there falls asleep. Now, chapter 8, verse 1, starts with a cameo from Saul, later to be known as Paul. Now, Saul, during this time, was consenting to Stephen's death. So, here's Saul again. It's a quick cameo of things to come. Uh, In chapter 9, he will be breathing threats against the church. Every breath that he lets out, it has to do with threats towards the church. And in verse 1 there, as we read on, it says, at that time a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, it's... As, as persecution arises when the church is scattered, we say, oh no, persecution. And it's not good. It's not fun, right? But it's good to remember what Jesus said there in the Gospels. I think every Gospel ends with him saying, go into all the world and preach the Gospel to all creation. In some way or another, Jesus sends out his disciples and says, go into all the world. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you'll remember a map for the entire book. Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses. Here we start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. So Jesus' plan was that this good news of what he had done for the world would spread to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now as chapter 8 starts, the church is in Jerusalem. That's where they're at. They're all in Jerusalem. Uh, They're only in Jerusalem. And probably they were comfortable. You know what I mean? Um, You know, when we would have youth camps, I felt like I could live in that place forever. Now, probably not, because the beds were kind of lumpy and all that. But I felt like it at the end of camp. Like, I just never wanted to end. I want to stay here forever. And so the church was just excited about what God was doing, and they didn't want to go anywhere. They just said, let's just stay in Jerusalem forever. But Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the world. Now notice in verse 1, I guess you could say, 
part C, that <laughs> they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So, in this persecution, it happened exactly the way Jesus wanted it to happen. The church was uh, scattered. And we see here, in this difficult time of church history, the truth of Romans 8.28. Now, I think there's a little bit of 8.28, of Romans 8.28. It's a great coffee cup verse. It's an amazing truth. Um, but it says this, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. God works His good. I think that's probably more important than just like our good. God works His good out of the worst situations. It's the same truth we see in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Huge verse, right? Because Joseph has been thrown in a pit earlier by his brothers who hated him, for good reason, probably, right? Thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, accused of rape, thrown into prison falsely, you know, under those false accusations, and there God uses him to save his family and really the world at that time. Uh, read the story. It's great. But the end of his life there, uh, as Joseph is with his brothers, his brothers are shaking. They're scared. They're afraid that now that their father is dead, that Joseph is going to take vengeance for all that they've done to him. And Genesis 50 verse 20 says... But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people. And that's a hard truth to get down. It's comforting in the end of our life. I think it's comforting. God works all these things together for good. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. But when we're going through difficult situations, maybe experiencing difficult people, we say, but this is not good. Me no like it, you know, <laughs> right? And, and we, we go, get it out of here. But yet God wants to take, now, now catch this, God wants to take the most difficult situations in our life and use them for great good to perhaps bring many to salvation. And in it, I think, we see a little bit of a truth here, too, of Romans 12, 21, where Paul says, do not be overcome by evil. There's a lot of evil that seems to spring into our life because of other people's decisions, and again, difficult situations, difficult people. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We really ought to, now, I don't like what I'm saying right now, I just want to let you know. <laughs> I don't like it. But we really ought to stop, you know, being overcome by these situations and say, God, what, what exactly do you want me to do in this? What kind of good do you want to bring me out of this? To maybe aggressively share God's love with some of the difficult folks in our life. Say, you know what, you're trying to make my life miserable, but God really does want to change you. God really does want to save you. To just throw truth out, you know, aggressively. In love, right? And to see what maybe God wants to do rather than letting the evil absorb us to overcome evil with good. Uh, here, the church is doing that. It's sharing the good news everywhere. And by the way, 
I have this in my notes. You can quote me on this. There's nothing gooder than the good news, right? <laughs> There's absolutely nothing gooder in our life to overcome evil with than the good news of what God has done for even the worst of us. And, and so here we see that going on as this persecution starts in the church. They are scattered to Judea and Samaria, exactly where Jesus wanted them to go. Now, here we see in chapter 8, specifically, the good news of what Jesus has done spread to Samaria. Samaria was home to the Samaritans. And you Bible students know that the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They were people of the northern territory of Israel who had intermarried with the Assyrians. When the Assyrians came in God's judgment, um, the people in the north, they intermarried with those Assyrians, and they became the Samaritans. Um, this named after their capital city, just in case you're wondering. But, but Jesus, when he wanted to use the most shocking story he could, told a story about a good Samaritan. <laughs> and the Jews would say, is there any such thing as a good Samaritan? The only good Samaritan is a... There's no good Samaritan, right? <laughs> and James and John, at one point, when the apostles, the disciples, go around sharing what Jesus was, that he was coming through, the Samaritans in a certain city, they reject it. We don't want anything to do with this Jesus. And James and John, about these Samaritans, say, Lord, do you want us to call down fire on this city? Because we'll do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Jesus says, you don't know what, what spirit you're of. Okay, guys? Nice. Don't do it. Um, <laughs> but, but that's how much they hated the Samaritans. And the irony is that John is going to go to the Samaritans and pray for them that they would receive the Holy Spirit in chapter 8 here. So God has a funny way of working these things out. So the gospel goes to Samaria. Verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered were went everywhere preaching the word. When Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them, uh, or then he went down and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes, with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. It's crazy how we can go from fierce persecution, mega persecution, and by verse 8, there was great joy. And that's pretty cool when God can take fierce persecution and turn it to great joy. Um, read on, verse 9. As this great thing is happening in Samaria through a guy named Philip. We'll see him more next week even. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they uh, heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. Um, so, enter Simon the sorcerer, right? Now, 
This word sorcery sometimes in the New Testament has to do with drug use, uh, pharmakia, but here it's not. It's actually magic. Right? So you could, you could think of sleight of hand. I mean, there's something amazing when somebody's doing a magic trick. You know, like, you, you know they're trying to deceive you with sleight of hand, and they, they, and they pull something out of thin air, and you go, <gasps> Now this guy perhaps was doing that. Perhaps he was into something more demonic. That is true here probably, too. He did this magic, this sorcery, and everybody was in awe, right? He's the great power. Not a great power, but the great power. And yet, verse 12, But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon, the sorcerer, <laughs> himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. And when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet, he, the Spirit, had fallen upon none of them. And had only they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw, through the laying on the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power, that anyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. So Simon's looking from the outside here, and he's amazed at the things that Philip is doing. And Simon, the sorcerer, he also believes in verse 13. He believes, and he is baptized, we see. So a couple things happen. Simon seems, as we're told here, to believe in his heart the things that are being told about Jesus. As far as we can tell, can't see his heart, but he believes in his heart. Then he confesses with his actions by getting baptized. That's what Paul said. You confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. Right? And, and so belief in the heart, confession through baptism, through his mouth, you could say. And he seems, as far as we can tell on the outside right now, to be saved. Well, as things go on, the disciples are brought in from Jerusalem. Hey, great things are happening here in Samaria. You better come check it out to make sure everything's going right. And there in verse 14 through 17, they come and they realize these folks have believed. These folks have been baptized, but they have not been filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, they lay hands on them, and in whatever way, I mean, it's hard to say what, what this looked like, but in whatever way they received the Holy Spirit, outwardly, there's signs. Sorry, I get choked up. Signs of this. And, and, and Simon is like, oh, look at that. Something happens when these disciples put their hands on these believers. Something happens. And part of Simon's former life spark up. He had been the one that everybody went around going, oh, Simon, do it again. 
Ha-ha! Oh, the great power of God, you know? They had looked to him for his power, for whatever. He was in the spotlight. And something in his former life kind of sparks up. Peter takes out his big bony finger, (laughs) right? In verse 20, you got to love Peter. But Peter said to him, your money perish with you. Because he thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. Give me this, Simon says, give me this power too, I'll give you money for it. And Peter points at him, I think, and says, you know what? Literally, your money go to hell with you. (laughs) He. And it was true, right? Because in his heart, he wasn't really changed. In his heart, he still was living for himself. So, is he saved? It kind of doesn't seem like it, at least from this outward perspective here. But the thing is, that God really does want to deal with it. Wherever Simon is at, give me this gift so I can lay my hands on people. I'll give you money. Money go to hell with you. And and here, notice, Peter goes on to tell him what's, what's going on. Um, Verse 21, you have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray to God, if perhaps uh, perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. And Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken will come upon me. So, God doesn't just leave him in a bad place. I love that about God. Even the worst of us. God is so faithful to just pursue us, isn't he? He's so stubborn, I like to say. He just never gives up. And and here, Simon's got a bad heart. Peter kind of points it out there in, in, in verse 21. Your heart is not right in the sight of God. And notice in verse 22 and 23, uh, verse 23, I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Poisoned by bitterness. Now, the bitterness here is not resentment as we think of it. I'm just so bitter at what you did. Um, You know, that Simon is bitter over something in his life. It could have been. But that's not really what's going on here. That word bitterness, it really points to the idea of wickedness and evil. So your heart is poisoned by wickedness. Whatever wickedness that might be. For Simon, it could have been self-centeredness or pride. Man, I really like it when people tell me I'm the great power of God, you know? Yeah, right. The pride, you know, was the wickedness in his heart that was poisoning him. But any sin is poisoned in our life. We don't really see it that way. You know, whether it's some kind of greed or selfishness or unforgiveness or sexual perversion, it's poison to our life. We don't see it that way. A lot of times we think, but it's my sin. (laughs) It's my sin. I want it. It's poison. Uh, History, come back for a second. Something that's not 
scripture, but it's interesting, right? <laughs> History tells us of the Franklin expedition to the Arctic, right? Uh, you know, back in the days when there was still parts, well, there still are parts that need to be explored of the planet, but but the Arctic was the big one. What's up there? What's in a cold spot? You know, that's hard, hard ground. In 1845, the Franklin expedition left for the Arctic, and it had the, the most modern technology of the day. It had the best funding, and it had the greatest supplies. A new invention that they used, canning, <laughs> right? Canning was big. And so you could bring supplies that would last for months, right, in a can. And you had everything that you needed. And as these explorers went out to explore the Arctic, they started to drop off one by one. One by one, they just kept dropping off. They kept dying. In 1984, some tests, because the Arctic has a way of preserving bodies, right? <laughs> some tests were done on these bodies, and they found that a lot of them died from lead poisoning. Their supplies were killing them every single day. And none of them survived. Um, and, and that is sin, right? That is wickedness. It poisons us little by little. It's not that bad. It's just my little wickedness. It poisons us. Until even times like this where it just comes out. I'll buy it. I'll buy it. If people will look at me like that, I'll buy it. Um, it poisons us, and a heart surrendered to Jesus is the only antidote for that poison. We need to be aware. Um, he also says, you're bound by iniquity. That's another colorful term, isn't it? It kind of references like slavery, bondage. You know, we really don't realize it until it's really got a hold of us, that sin and wickedness in our heart binds us. We feel like we can't do anything else, and that's not a pleasant place to be. But yet God wants to change us. Notice verse 22, what Peter has said to him. Repent, therefore, from your wickedness, and pray God. Perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. Repent. The old word repent, right? To turn from your sin and turn to God. Repentance is an action. Has to be. It's not just a change of heart. That might have more to do with confession. God, you're right. I'm wrong. But it's a change of your life. Stop going the way you were going and go towards Jesus. Will you fail? You will probably fail. We all fail in sin. But yet, our heart ought to be turned, our heart needs to be turned back to God. Repent. Now notice verse 24. Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me. Now I'm going to say, I usually feel like that was a cop out. You know what I mean? Like, why don't you pray, Simon? Right? <laughs> pray to God for me. But you know what though? It's okay. Because sometimes we're so weak that we can't even hardly do it on our own. And that's what fellowship is for, right? Uh, James uh, says, uh, confess your sins one to another. Um, it's good. That's what friends are for. 
Galatians chapter 6 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Man, come to someone and say, You know what? I am absolutely struggling with this thing in my heart. This wickedness is poisoning me. This uh, iniquity has is, is got me bound. And I don't want it anymore. Come to someone. Pray with them. Come to Jesus is the only uh, remedy here. Now, we don't exactly know what happened to Simon, although he was given all of the, the information. Repent. Turn. Turn from your iniquity. Turn from your wickedness. Um, but we find here, to tie into what we're going to do here in a second, we're going to go out to the pool and, and have baptism with uh, those who are, are ready to do that, make the plunge. Um, baptism, we'll talk about it out there, but represents death to the old person. And, and this is kind of the thing. One way or another, death is a requirement for sin. right? Either the wages of sin is death, and we hold on to our sin and it takes us right to hell, death, ultimate death, or Jesus' death is the remedy for sin. That we find ourselves with him there on the cross, dying to who we were, dying to our sin. And Jesus pays the price for those um, sins. New life, then, we'll see, is offered to us as we just come to Jesus and say, look, the sin is killing me. I'm in bondage. You say you're a savior, that's what I want. We come to Jesus. Let's pray, and then uh, we will head out to the pool and kind of continue poolside. God, <coughs> thank you for loving us. Lord, Lord, we were no different than the sorcerer. We were wrapped up in ourselves, and we still are sometimes. And yet, God, self is just poisoning us, killing us. It's got us in bondage. But God, you've come to make us free. And you've come to give us life. God, thank you so much that you love us enough to do that. Thank you for being stubborn with us. Now I pray as we just go out and just continue this, this mindset in a time of baptism. I'm so excited for that. We pray that you would continue to work in all of our hearts. That we would see what you've done for us. God, we continue to give you this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.